everyone. This is Mike Linstead, president and co-founder of the Nehemiah Project, and you are listening to the Nehemiah Project podcast, where we replace hopelessness with hope. Well, today I have a very special guest. I'm here with Mr. David Grantham. How are you, sir? I am good, Mike. Glad to be here. Wonderful. So just a couple of things about David before we get going. He has been in aviation basically almost his entire life. He's been a professional pilot for the past 30 years. He is from Covington, Louisiana, currently residing in Covington, Louisiana, married with two grown adult children. Uh, He's also a member of the Field Church, which is the church that I myself attend. And his calling is specifically to evangelism and apologetics, which is going to be the discussion of our podcast today. More so about apologetics, but evangelism, that's part of it, right? So we're going to be discussing that. He has been involved in his calling uh, since 2009 as an open-air preacher and as a teacher of apologetics. David, we're so grateful to have you on. Well, it's always uh, exciting to talk about the Lord and see what we can do to, with like-minded Christians to be encouraged and strengthened and bolstered in our faith to go out there and, and get after it. Yeah, yeah. And man, what like... What a time, you know, in our culture today, right? Boy, I'm telling you, there, it's, <laughs> it's never been more needed. I guess you could say that for the last 2,000 years, of course, right. but as we see what's going on in particular in our country and uh, the world in general, mm-hmm. uh, there's there's never been a better time to, right. you know, for us as Christians to to go out into the world, you know, and get in that square your shoulders up, you know, to the right. spiritual battle and say, thus says the Lord. And right. people are looking for truth. And Amen. they're looking for a decisiveness. Uh, we want to be gentle in the way we share our faith, of course, but at the same time, uncompromising. And that catches the eyes of the of the unsaved. Uh, this guy, this gal, they're uncompromising in their in their in their beliefs, and that mm-hmm. kind of sets a tone of seriousness. And I think people, uh, whether they agree with you or not, it it definitely catches their eye, and there's a bit of respect there. Oh, definitely. You know, and and today is nothing new, right? I mean, in terms of the culture, it's just doing what the culture does. I mean, we've seen this happen in the Roman culture and every culture that was the world dominant power like America is today. Right. You see cultures kind of go through this ebb and flow, this cycle. It's kind of yeah. described in the book of Ecclesiastes. And they did evil in the sight of the Lord. And then they rep- God sent judgment. Then they repented. Yeah. God relented, and then they did evil on the side of the Lord. God, <laughs> you know, sent judgment. Yep. So, yeah, we're, this is nothing new. Right. You know, the thing, what do we expect of sinners? Well, they're going to act like sinners, and right. they're going to do sinful things. Right. And, you know, when we say, you know, sinners, right, it's really easy for people who might not believe that Jesus is who he says he is um, to sit back and think that, you know, Christians are self-righteous or judgmental. But I can just tell you right now, that was us. And we still, even though we're saved, right, and we're being sanctified, transformed in the image of Christ, we still struggle with our, what the Bible calls flesh, which is the humanness, you know? <laughs> I noticed. Yes, I, I noticed. noticed. I thought it was just me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm here to tell your brother you're not alone. Oh, good. I feel a little better now. But, you know, as far as apologetics is concerned and the gospel is concerned, if we don't bring up the reality of sin, right, then we're robbing the gospel of its power, so to speak, right? Because if you don't know what the bad news is, then there's no good news. Yeah, if we're standing on the Santa Monica Pier and uh, you're standing there and I go run by you and dive in the water and say, Mike, I'm going to rescue you. 
You go, well, that was pretty cool, about a 20-foot leap into that cold you know, <laughs> Pacific Ocean. But that was pretty cool. It's a YouTube moment, but it's not going to help me. I'm not in peril. Right. I'm safe. Right. I'm good to go. Right. I'm not... I, I don't see a need for what you're, you know, in essence, selling here. Right. And so to your point about the law and the gospel, you've got to awaken the conscience. Uh, the Bible, in particular, the New Testament, it, it's a, a judicial system, You see, a spiritual judicial system. You see there's sin, there's a breaking of the law, there's judgment, there's consequences, consequences. There's a day of judgment coming. Hebrews 9.27 says it's appointed for man to die once, then the judgment. Mm-hmm. And everybody has a conscience. Con means with and science means knowledge, with knowledge, saved or not. You know one day in some capacity, you're going to have to give account for what you've done wrong. Amen. And then you brought up a very, very key word that as Christians, we should be encouraged. You, you talked about reality. Being a born-again believer and having your mind transformed by, you know, as Paul talks about in Romans, the um, being transformed by the renewing of your mind. Being a born-again believer, it's terrible that you have to qualify a Christian. Right. You know, 75% of America claims to be Christian, yet we kill 4,000 unborn babies every day. Wow. So somewhere there's a disconnect, right? Right. But nonetheless, being a, you know, a genuine born-again believer, you that is the ultimate in reality. Mm-hmm. You understand reality. This is real. Mm-hmm. And people want to argue about morality, moral reality. Yeah. We have the truth in the word of God. Yeah. And it rings true with the unsaved when we appeal to their conscience. Mm-hmm. So there is a very easy, clear way to share our faith and to have conversations, uh, these um, apologetic conversations mm-hmm. and evangelical, uh, evangelistic conversations. And you know, just as a, as a note here, a lot of people will say, well, well, gee, Dave, I'm not, you know, not not some big guy. I'm not some loud alpha person. That's irrelevant. Right. It doesn't matter. Right. Um, I think a lot of times being a big guy is a bit of a hindrance. I have to watch mm. my body language and watch how I mm-hmm. talk to people. I don't want to come off as imposing or yeah, threatening. Yeah, you guys don't know David. He's, uh, he so, has somewhat of an imposing figure. Yeah. So, <laughs> I didn't mean to cut you off, but. No, it's, it's just, that's the way it is. But yeah. uh, the Bible, you know, it's like Spurgeon said, just open the gate, mm-hmm. let, let the lion out. Yeah. The Bible will take care of itself. It's not, the, we're not out to win, what we're out to do is be biblically truthful, mm-hmm. and 99.9% of evangelistic um, encounters are not what a guy like me and some of us do where we literally stand on a street corner and open air preach or mm-hmm. and what have you. It's just a conversation with somebody at work. Yeah, yeah. And I love that too because the Bible can be used um, skillfully in any situation, you know. Literally. But skillfully is Skillful. The term, right? I want to read, um, you mentioned accountability, Right. Unbelievers, people who don't acknowledge a true God, um, don't sometimes don't understand that they are accountable to God. Um, and what I've noticed, especially in, in my generation and generations underneath me in terms of their age, this idea of accountability is not uh, understood rightly, and it's not really discussed at all, right? I mean, everyone is autonomous, right? And we're coming mm-hmm. into, if you follow you know, people who are in Bitcoin or some of these newer forms of currency, they're, they're talking about this new age of autonomy, right? And so, um, again, the Bible has lots to say about that um, from beginning to end. But I want to read from Psalm 50, and then we'll jump into apologetics specifically, because this is really the foundation. It's like, well, why even practice apologetics? Why even share your faith? Well, 
There's a lot of reasons why, but this is one of the foundations. It says that God's throne, the foundation of his throne is righteousness and justice, right? I mean, he is a just God. And so I wanna read this from Psalm 50. I'm just gonna read the entire thing. Here we go. The mighty one, God, the Lord, speaks and summons the earth from the rising of the sun to its settings. Out of Zion, the perfection of beauty, God shines forth. Our God comes and he does not keep silent. Before him is a devouring fire, around him a mighty tempest. He calls to the heavens above and to the earth that he may judge his people. He says, gather to me my faithful ones who have made a covenant with me by sacrifice. The heavens declare his righteousness for God himself is judge. God says, hear, O my people, and I will speak. O Israel, I will testify against you. I am God, your God. Not for your sacrifices do I rebuke you, your burnt offerings are continually before me. I will not accept a bull from your house or goats from your folds for every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. I know all the birds of the hills and all that moves in the field is mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you for the world and its fullness are mine. Do I eat the flesh of bulls or drink the blood of goats? Offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving and perform your vows to the most high and call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you and you shall glorify me. But to the wicked, God says, what right have you to recite my statutes or take my covenant on your lips? For you hate discipline and you cast my words behind you. If you see a thief, you are pleased with him and you keep company with adulterers. You give your mouth free reign for evil and your tongue frames deceit. You sit and speak against your brother and you slander your own mother's son. These things you have done, and I have been silent. You thought that I was one like yourself, but now I rebuke you and lay the charge before you. Mark this then, you who forget God, lest I tear you apart and there be none to deliver. The one who offers thanksgiving as his sacrifice glorifies me. To the one who orders his way rightly, I will show the salvation of God. So God speaks to nonbelievers and believers he does. There. He's our creator. Yes. And I wanted to read that because what we're going to do today is we're going to discuss the topic of apologetics. And we're going to cover a couple of different categories that are quite prevalent in our world today, especially in America today. But it's, it's safe to say that in any industrialized, modernized part of the world you go, you're going to see these pop up. And so I think it's very pertinent to not only believers, but also to unbelievers. Because I could tell you when I was running around on the street, I thought I had it all figured out. I thought I was just like so smart. I was full of myself, right? And I thought that the way that I thought about reality was different. But the reality is it wasn't. It wasn't different. And so I think that there's gonna be a lot of value for those of you out there listening who don't believe in God to hear these categories as well. Um, and I hope that the Lord uses it to draw you closer to him. Well, you're right. You're right on all accounts. Um, sinners, unsaved people act like sinful, unsaved people. We all did. And a, and a few foundational things when it comes to apologetics or really, you know, it's kind of a lofty word, but mm -hmm. it's given a, a reasoned defense or answer to why we believe what we believe. Mm -hmm. 
And that's where, the say, the church has failed miserably, in my opinion, for the last hundred years, is to equip us as new Christians to believe or to be able to articulate why we believe what we believe. Yeah. Um, we, we don't do that. And it's reasonable for an unsaved person to ask us a handful of questions. And, yes. and it's reasonable for them to expect something of a, a tight answer. Why, why Christianity? Why Jesus? You're telling me two billion Muslims are wrong? Mm. Or my grandmother, who was the sweetest little old lady in the world, just because she wasn't a Christian and didn't go to church, she's gonna go to hell? Mm. Uh, my God, a loving God, would never send anybody to hell. Man wrote the Bible. The Bible's got contradictions. You know, it's like the old telephone game. You know, you start with one message, and by the time it gets to the end of the line, it, the message has been changed. And the Bible's been changed so many times. Right, we right. really don't know what, what the original intent was. Right. You know, I'm an atheist, I'm a this, I'm a that. Um, I, one of the most surprising things, Mike, that I, probably the most surprising thing that I learned when I first began to open air preach was I thought, I'm a history guy, I'm a reader. I'm not a science or a mathematician guy. You know, I'm a, I got a strong back and a weak mind. You know? <laughs> if you need somebody to run the stupid end of a shovel or a weed eater, give, give me a call. I'm, I'm eminently qualified. But, you know, I like, reading Ken Ham's answers in Genesis, and uh -huh. I want to go up to the Ark Encounter and all, but I'm not a science guy by nature. Uh -huh. I'm not a mathematician type. So I thought when I was first going to open air preach, I was going to have to know all these answers about plate tectonics and carbon-14 dating and all these myriad of things. Well, I studied all those, and I keep trying to keep them memorized. So when I first started open air preaching, which I started, I learned from Ray Comfort mm -hmm. out in L.A., at uh, Living Waters, L Ray's ministry, and Ray and I are really good friends. And he, that ministry, he's one of three people that literally changed my life. God used to change my life, my yeah. marriage, my future, everything. God used Living Waters ministry, you know, which is Ray's. Mm. So anyhow, I, I first started learned to open air preach via him. And I tell you what, you want to learn the meaning of stark mortal terror. Mm. Uh, the first time you grab your literal Borden's plastic milk crate and get on the street or go to a college or somewhere. Well, I started in southeastern Louisiana here in, in Louisiana or in uh, Hammond. Yeah. Me, my wife, and we just went out there and I, I threw my milk crate down and mm -hmm. I I started uh, preaching the way Ray had taught and so yeah. forth. And I had about 200 people gathered in about five minutes. Wow. And I went for two solid hours. And I started getting, that was, an, it was amazing. And then, you know, that was 2009. But back to the, the point there that I learned very, very quickly, and this is very, very important. Here's why. There's only about 10 arguments against Christianity. Hmm. There, you know, I just did 17 videos that you can see on the, uh, the Field Church resources. Uh -huh. and, well, 11 of, 10 or 11 of them are out. I, I just did six more and they haven't been released yet. Um, but the first 10 or 11 are on apologetics. Mm -hmm. uh, atheism, all these other religions. Yeah. Um, the Bible has mistakes and so forth. They're fairly brief. But anyway, yeah. my point to it is, there's only about a half a, do a dozen arguments against Christianity. That's yeah. it. They're couched a thousand different ways. Yeah, yeah. And you, you'll quickly be discerning to go, I know right where you're going with that. Yeah. So the biggest thing you have to do after you open air preach or begin to witness on a regular basis is have a lot of patience. Yeah. Because you're hearing this these sentences coming out of people's mouths and you're going, you just want to go, yeah, come on, come on, come on, come on. I know right where you're going yeah. with this. I've heard it literally a thousand times. Yeah. But of course you don't do that. 
So the Christian needs to be encouraged. Mm -hmm. You're not rocked back on your heels. The Bible has the answers to what to anything that uh, may come your way. Amen. That's so true. That's so true. And again, we're always encouraged in the scriptures to be in, in our approach to be gentle, of course, and humble. But people get that confused with, and I say people just generally because it's on both sides, not believers mm-hmm. and believers. They get that confused with being like weak or non-confrontational, right? No, if I love somebody, I don't want them to be spending eternity apart from God. Mm-hmm. So for me to like sit there and equivocate when when asked really difficult questions or sit there and kind of like water down the truth or just not say it at all, that expresses a lack of love for that person. Well, you're, you're, you're right. Um, there, there, there's so many ways to go about it that we're simply just not taught. And that's the mm-hmm. downfall of the church. The church is, I would, in my estimation, the, the majority of the problems we have in America, we can lay a lot of them right at the foot of the church. Mm-hmm. We've caved. It used to be the church influenced society, but mm-hmm. we let the church, or the society and culture in through the doors. We opened the doors and invited culture in yeah. 50, 60 years ago. And now you got what you got. We got mm-hmm. a mess, an absolute mess on our hands and and some of the most virulent ugly screaming um hecklers i've ever had are people who claim to be christians Mm. that tell me not to judge and i'm judging right and i'm mean i'm cruel i'm vindictive and i'm and i'm a christian it's like wow so anyhow the the Bible does have the answers, and the thing to remember is this: it's just a conversation. Mm-hmm. You don't have. We're not out to win. We're we're, we're not going to win. We're not trying to impress anybody with our theological knowledge. I think it would do all of us uh, a really. It would give us all a good dose of humility if we reminded ourselves what we were like prior to salvation. Yes, those of us that have been Christians a long time, we forget what it was like to be unsaved. And those people that you're talking to that are getting your blood pressure up and they're being ugly and argumentative, and and it's not always like that. It's Mm -hmm. not. It's usually just a conversation. Just remember, you were the same way prior to getting saved. Yeah. All the way to the person who, when we're out open air preaching, and I don't want to sensationalize this. It's not always like that. We have, every time I go somewhere, I'll have some Christians come up and say, thank you for what you're doing or thank you for not being like, basically the Westboro Baptist version of wherever I'm at, the, mm. the real ugly guy with the signs, Repent. God hates, oh, okay. you know, and all this ugly, all the ugly yeah, words yeah, yeah, on yeah. there. Um, I had one <laughs> in Hammond, the, uh, during, we go during the school semester, of course, and I, I was like, wow, to ask my wife, make sure you get a picture of that sign, that's a new one. <laughs> yoga, plant, yoga pants lead to lesbianism. What? I, yeah, that's what I said. <laughs> That's ridiculous. Well, I got the pictures, so oh, uh, of the sign. But just be patient with people, yes. and no matter if it's the most virulent, vulgar mouth, Jesus hating atheist, it's giving you a hard time. Remember, they're no more lost than you were. Right. And the pe- people ask all the time. They'll say, "Well, you know, I, if I got up there and they started screaming or hollering or cussing at me or arguing, I wouldn't have the patience. And you know, I wouldn't. I couldn't put a. I'm thinking that's nothing but pride. Yeah." You, you you think you're you know that's pride that's what yeah. that is yeah so I don't I mean I don't like to be cursed at I haven't been beat up or anything yet yeah. but I I I'm surprised because I'm just a person of normal patience maybe a little less in in some areas but I'm surprised I really don't get mad at, it's God. a God thing that yeah. He has given me yes 
when you're getting just screamed and hollered at by mm. 10 just filthy mouth people, mm. it, I really don't get mad. The only time I've gotten really mad is when they physically try to keep you from speaking with a bullhorn yeah. right up against you or oh. they'll hold card, big pieces of cardboard up in front of you where you can't. That's the only time I actually get mad. Yeah. But other than that, you just, you're going, these are lost people. Wow. And guess what? Lost people act like lost people. Right, right. Um, last thing I want to do before we start to jump into some of these categories is I do want to hit on that. You said judgment, right? And, and yeah. it's unfortunate that we have people in the church who claim to be Christians, and some of them may be Christians, but they're they're, they're not biblically literate. There can be ignorance, which is a lack of knowledge. Right, and that's why I said that they're not biblically literate. Right? Mm-hmm. They don't understand the whole counsel of God because they don't read it primarily. Or mm-hmm. when they do, it's just superficial. It's I checked the box, I did my daily reading plan, good, I'm good. Now off mm-hmm. to my day, right? I want to read just, I'll read, there's so many places I could go about this idea of judgment, right? What, are we supposed to judge or are we not? Because Jesus says, hey, if you judge, you're going to be judged. That's a really way, good right? place to get started is yeah. the old J word. The old J word. So here's what Peter, the apostle says. I'll just read one verse and the context is actually suffering as a Christian. But first Peter chapter four, verse 17, it says, for it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel? And of course, he's talking about salvation there, the judgment of God. But I just wanted to bring that up. Also, we're told in Galatians 6, 1, that we're, we are supposed to bear one another's burdens, which would you know, imply that, hey, if, if someone's dabbling in a sin that, we, that we're aware of now, that we're supposed to approach that individual, just like Jesus tells us, approach them by themselves. If they're not repentant, bring someone else with you. Matthew 18. Yes, Matthew 18. If they're not repentant still, then you take it before the church. And we don't see a whole lot of that happening now, but Paul's kind of playing off of that <clears throat> prescription by the Lord and saying that if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. This is Galatians 6, 1. Mm-hmm. But keep watch on yourself, lest you, you too be tempted, right? Bear up one another's burdens so that you fulfill the law of Christ. And so we're supposed to be confrontational within the house of God in the sense of, hey, if you see one of your brother sinning, you gotta love him, right? Which is mm-hmm. not to let him keep sinning. And then the last one, this is quite a graphic illustration of how serious this can get, but this is the reality of, of what we're talking about. This is the Apostle Paul talking in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Um, I'm going to read from verses 9 through 13. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. Remember, the context here was there was a person in this church who was having sexual relations with his mother-in-law, if I'm correct on that. That's but, frowned upon, correct? I believe so. That's okay. Yes. All right. Even today, it's frowned upon. And this was happening in the church, mm-hmm. okay? So this is what Paul's getting at when he says sexually immoral people. He's not arbitrarily just choosing this. I wrote to you, he says in verse nine, in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world or the greedy and swindlers or hmm. idolaters. Since then, you would need to go out of the world. But now I am writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother, which is to say, who calls himself a Christian, if he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed or idolatry or, or a reviler or a drunkard or a swindler, not even to eat with such a one. For what, for what have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those outside, purge the evil person from among you. Wow, pretty hardcore prescription for those who claim to be Christians. 
Now you might say, well, Mike, I just heard you say that we're not supposed to judge outsiders. That's not true, right? That's not what he means by that. God is the one who's going to judge them ultimately, meaning when they die, they will stand, as I like to say, butt naked before the Lord God Almighty, meaning he's going to see you exactly for who you are. No front. He will know you 100%. It is our job to take the gospel out. And part of the gospel is the proclamation that you are indeed under the wrath of God already because of sin. Well, that's probably one of the top five things you'll get is don't judge. And we could spend hours on that. Um, here's the deal with, with judgment. And there's, there's quite a few facets to it. And again, you made a really good uh, delineation there between ap- applying that word, application of that word within the house of God. In other words, to someone who is calling themselves a Christian and maybe perhaps a member of a local congregation versus someone who is unsaved mm-hmm. outside of the, clearly outside of God and doesn't make any pretenses about being a Christian. Mm-hmm. So you'll get that. And typically it goes something like this regarding the unsaved. My God would never judge anybody. Okay, first of all, you're right. Your God never would because your God doesn't exist. <laughs> you, you've just broken the second commandment. You've created a graven image in your own mind. Yes. You've created a God in your own mind, a little bit of Jesus, a little bit of Buddha, and a whole lot of you. Yeah. And this God, you're right. This God had, and I've used this, I use this almost every single time I'm out open air preaching. My God would never judge. And, and I, this is what I say. You're right. Your God wouldn't because your God doesn't exist. Your God, who's your God? Right. Does he have a name? Does he have rules? Right. Have you kept those rules? Have you broken any of those rules? How are you going to give account for those rules that you've broken? Is there punishment? Is there a day of judgment for that? So, you know, just ask questions. Yeah. When you're having a conversation like this, typically you're doing an interview. Mm-hmm. You, somebody's made a statement of fact. My God would never judge anyone. My God would never send anybody to hell. My God would never hate anybody. My God loves gay people. My God hates those that judge. Okay, who's your God? Right. You've made a statement of fact. My God would never. Mm. Okay, who is your God? Now, it's up to you to support this statement of fact. So just ask questions. And very, very quickly, 100% of the time, in about 90 seconds, it'll break down. Does your God have a name? Where are these rules at so I can make sure I'm following these rules of your God? Mm -hmm. How do you know this God? How does he speak to you? How does she speak to you? How do you commune with this God? How do you reverence this God? Mm -hmm. How do you know you're following this God? And just, just... goes on and on and on. Yeah. So you're right. Your God would never judge anybody because your God doesn't exist. You've broken the second commandment, which says, right. thou shalt not create a graven image. Mm-hmm. You've created a God in your own mind that loves you and, of course, will never judge you. Right. So getting into judgment, they'll say literally, and again, patience has to play a big part of this because you're going to hear this every single time. They'll say to you, you shouldn't judge anybody. And I'll reply, are you judging me? Mm-hmm. And you just let it sit there. And you see that lower lip kind of quiver like, oh, man. Yeah. Or their eyes dart. And I say, are you judging me? You're telling me I shouldn't judge, but you're judging me. And they'll, they'll realize the little trap you set for them. I said, why shouldn't I judge? What's wrong to judge? Ever? Now, we're talking about uns- unsafe people here. Right. Ever? It's wrong to judge. That's right. I said, is rape wrong? And they'll realize they painted themselves into a corner. I said, is rape wrong? Is abusing a child wrong? Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. I said, you're judging? Mm -hmm. So we can clearly see some judgment is appropriate. And they realize now they've gotten in way over their head. So you're just trying to reason and you want to use this as a springboard of the natural to get to the gospel. Yes. You're just, you're logicking and reasoning with these people. You're showing them, I have thought about these things. I do have something of a cogent argument when it comes to this statement about thou shalt not judge, Mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. Really, in essence, for brevity's sake today, what they're doing is they're they're trying to be pre, launch a preemptive strike and tell you not to judge because they themselves know they're living wrong and they don't want you to judge them. Yes, that that is in reality what they're doing. So there is a day of judgment coming. Mm-hmm. Uh, Hebrews nine twenty seven. It's appointed for man to die once, and after this, the judgment. We're all going to be judged. Mm-hmm. Now. In, and then you springboard into the gospel mm-hmm. and you take them through the good person test, the 10 commandments, because you, our goal here is not to win. Mm-hmm. Our goal here is to present the gospel and let the Holy Spirit do its job. Yes. We don't, that's one of the things I tell people when I teach this. We have been taught as Baptists and it just really gets my ire up. Mm-hmm. You've got to close the deal. You got to get them to sign a card. You got to get them to say the sinner's prayer. Take my hand, say this prayer and really, really mean it. Are you really sorry? Okay, then you then you declare them a Christian. Mm-hmm. That is wrong. Yeah. And what it does is it produces a false convert. Mm-hmm. Someone I said the prayer. That's what I was. Mm-hmm. I walked the aisle when I was twelve or thirteen. Said the prayer. You got dunked. You're a Christian now. Well, okay, sweet. <laughs> I'm good to go. <laughs> that was easy. <laughs> yeah. Other than I have no interest in reading the Bible. I don't go to church. I have right. a filthy mouth. Yeah. Socially, I'm just like everybody unsaved person. Damn. We talk about that a lot, actually. Chad and I on this podcast is how it's harder. False converts? Yeah, and it's harder to show somebody once they've already been converted and they have this false sense of security. It's harder. Yeah. Like, it's almost harder to like unlearn stuff you're, than learn. You're, you're absolutely correct. The church has done that. Mm-hmm. But then we go to the judgment and we let them see that, and they'll say, my God would never judge. And you know we, what we just talked about. Or someone will say, I'm a Christian and God doesn't judge. Well, you talked earlier about the whole character and nature of God, the attributes of God. Mm-hmm. God is loving. Yeah. He is kind. He's generous. He's forgiving. He's patient. But he's also just. Mm-hmm. And a just judge cannot let a guilty lawbreaker go. It wouldn't be just. Right. So he's going to judge us according to the Ten Commandments, the moral law. And your conscience bears witness. I have done wrong. Mm-hmm. And the Bible says there's none righteous, no, not none, no, not one. Yeah. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You see, when we witness to someone in particular about judgment, judging, um, you have an ally. It's called the conscience. Mm-hmm. That person's, person, I've been in law enforcement also. Mm-hmm. And you, the conscience is a powerful tool when you're interviewing someone or talking to someone, mm-hmm. they may not have actually done the thing you're interviewing them about or conducting the investigation about, mm-hmm. but they know something about it and their conscience is screaming at them. Yeah. I'm being deceptive. I'm wrong. I'm going to get caught. So we're all spiritual criminals. We've broken God's law and we know a day of judgment is coming in some capacity. Yeah. So we lay out the full counsel of God there and and explain to them, here. there is hope for you. There is a way to have this your sentence commuted. Now back to within the church, you brought up a most excellent point, man. Church discipline is something that is sorely needed in the modern church. Mm -hmm. And the point of church discipline is this. It is to restore the believer to good fellowship. Yes. It's to correct them. It's not to punish. Right. It's to restore. And we have to be, as Christians, genuine Christians, humble enough to receive it 
yeah. and go, I was wrong. Yeah, there's a picture of that this concept in the Old Testament when someone would be considered unclean. Yeah, they'd ceremonial go, unclean. Right, they'd have to go outside the camp yeah. right, for a period of time, depending on right. what the violation was, be made clean through some ceremony, right, and then they can come back into fellowship. That's a practice that carries over in the New Testament, not right. literally, right, right, but you're right. Right, and that's a picture for us in the Old of how God himself set that up with for his people. Right. He's showing us a picture, right? I mean, obviously, we don't all live in like huts and tents together in this country right now, right? So we don't follow that. <laughs> not yet. Some, some people do, yeah, not yet, but some yeah. people do. But nonetheless, that's that's a picture for us to understand what David just said. Within the church, we are to hold each other accountable to the standard of God. Right. And this is pleasing in his sight. Right, and we are not um, trying to get one over on one another. No, we're trying to we're trying to exemplify Christ. Well, the the a sign of maturity, and it's hard. It's hard when I'm corrected, and I've had people oh, correct me, and it hurts, and it hurts. you feel really bad. And <laughs> that's called pride. <laughs> yeah, um, but we sh- the the genuine Christian should default. I'm wrong. Yeah. If if you come to me and you say, David, here's what you did. My default position should be. Yeah. I blew it. Yeah. Now we're going to talk about it and work through it here and have a good conversation. But my default is I'm wrong. Yeah, I'm wrong. Yeah. So, and, and that is what you know. That is what is so important. One of the true indications, or probably one of the main ones, of a false convert versus someone that is a genuine Christian who has erred, um, is you go to them and you say, "Well, you just for, again for brevity's sake here today, you, hey man, Mike, you claim to be a Christian yet you're living with your girlfriend." Mm. I seen your language, and I seen you doing this, man. What, what's up? Right. Hey, dude, you judging me? Mm. You don't pay my bills. Hey, we love each other. She mm. doesn't have anywhere to live. You don't sin. You never did any of this. Mm. Who? That's a very defensive attitude, yeah. and that's a yellow bordering on red flag that this person is not genuinely saved. Right. I mean, if you're living, you know, First Corinthians chapter six talks about the sexual things and other things. If you're habitually living in a lifestyle of sin. I don't see how you can be saved biblically. Right, right. I mean, in in Galatians, right, he goes down, Paul goes down the two lists. The works of the flesh are evident. First one, sexual immorality. And he just goes down the list. Those who practice such things. It, that's how that word "do" is translated sometimes, because in the Greek, it's 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 a connotation of a continual doing. It's not like if you did this thing once, you're definitely not a Christian, right? Well, it's, it's a slipping and falling into sin, and you yes. repent of it, and you get out of it, and you're ashamed and embarrassed, and you you want to make it right, you know, and you you don't want to do that again. And right. versus a, a, what do what do lawyers do? They practice law. What do doctors do? They practice medicine. Right. What do professional athletes do when they're not playing? They're practicing. It's a lifestyle of. Right. Now, Christians, as Christians, of course, we're not immune to sin. That's another top 10. Yeah. Oh, you don't ever sin? Yes, I do. But here's the difference between a born-again believer, genuine Christian, and a false convert or somebody that's not. And I like to throw these words out because they sound good and it makes me feel smart, which I'm not, <laughs> which is uh, metamelami and metanoia. Uh-huh. Yeah, I like those. I got a couple more. I just have to remember them. But, but it's really quite simple, and they're the... The humanistic, secular version of why I'm sorry versus the correct Christian why I'm Christian worldview of why I'm sorry. Anyway, here we go. Yeah. One is you get busted, you get caught, and your wife your wife catches you. Yeah, you're, you're, let's pick a big one: adultery. Yeah, it costs you your marriage. It costs you your reputation. It may have cost you your job. 
that's the type of worldly sorrow. Mm-hmm. You're sorry because you got caught. Right. A godly sorrow is hopefully Christian won't get caught do it or won't do that. But if you do, it's like, Lord, I, I I'm so sorry. Yeah. You that have been so kind and suffered so horribly to save me. And now I've gone and done this yeah. as one of yours. It's that godly remorse, that godly repentance. Yeah, you're sorry it cost you your reputation or maybe your job or your career. Yeah, but that's secondary. Yes. The Christian hates sin because we sin first against the Lord. Yeah. He has been so good to forgive a wretch like me. And now I in turn am gonna go do this. Mm-hmm. There's two types of sorrow. Yeah. That's that sorrow that leads to godly repentance. Um, a Christian trips and stumbles and falls into sin. The false convert or the unsaved person, which is synonymous, they don't care. Yeah, yeah. I'm not hurting anybody. We're adults. So true. You know, so are you true. judging me? Yeah. You know, we love each other. Uh, you've never done this? Yeah. Versus, you know, the other way. It, there's two types, you know, the metanoia versus the metamelami. You yeah. know, one is a godly, the short one's a godly sorrow. The long one is... I'm sorry because I got busted. Yeah, those those words that you're saying are Greek words and they're found in 2 Corinthians chapter 7 where David is delineating these two different types of sorrow. You know, our Lord, He was. I was reading the parable of the sower this morning and it's one of my favorite, you know, because it gives the four types of that sorrow. That is an absolute evangelistic parable. Uh, and yeah. I remember Pastor Sam was preaching on that probably a year and a half ago when we were seven chapters before we yeah. where we are now. <laughs> and... One of the great takeaways I got from that was if you want to understand the contents of someone's heart, just introduce the gospel to the conversation, right? That's, a, that's, that's excellent. That's it. And I mean, Jesus was, was not explicitly saying that, but he was showing us the effects of the gospel because there's four types of soil, right? And they all represent the heart condition. There's mm-hmm. the, the seed that fell along the, the path. There's the seed that hit the rocky soil. There's a seed that hit the soil full of thorns and thistles. And then there's the good soil, right? Mm-hmm. That's the only one that produces a crop, which tells us three out of four, not the genuine thing, right? Right. So anyways, without going down that tangent, which is a, a great one, we should probably do a podcast on that one. Yeah, let's do that. I do want to uh, get into some of these categories now. So shifting gears here a bit, I want to bring up 11 different categories of, I mean, I guess we could just call these religions. And basically, they have their own doctrines and they have their own ways of life, right? Although, you know, when I say the word religion, most of us think of, you know, Christianity, Judaism, et cetera. These aren't religions in that sense. So I use that word fairly loosely. But I'm going to just read down these categories and I'm going to read a sentence after each uh, title just to kind of paint a picture in y'all's mind, all y'all listening, kind of what what we're getting at here. And, and I'm, I'm interested to have some of this feedback from uh, when I see you guys out there listening. So the first one that we're going to cover today is called self-helpism. It can be categorized with this sentence, God helps those who help themselves. The second category can be called naturalism. And it can be categorized this way, that my brain is trustworthy according to my brain. The third one is skepticism, which says, I'd believe in a God if there were any shred of evidence. The fourth one is called postmodernism which is the truth is there is no truth. The fifth one is moral relativism, which would sound like this. You're wrong to tell me that I'm wrong. We actually kind of covered that one a little bit. The next category is emotionalism, which would say, follow your heart 
It never lies. The next one is pluralism, which would basically just say, just worship something, man. The next one is somewhat of a new one, I guess, but it's called new spirituality, which I've heard so many times in my life, people say this, oh, I'm not religious, I'm spiritual. The next one is one that we are seeing erupt in our culture now called Marxism, which would basically be said that communism failed because nobody did it right. And that's a highly political one, but there are non-political, I guess I should say it is also a non-political way of thinking. The next one is feminism, which would basically say that the future is female. And the final one is progressive Christianity. And the proponents of this believe that Christianity needs a makeover. It needs to become culturally relevant. Now, just as kind of a note, these don't necessarily exist in vacuums, right? It's quite common for people to have like a whole bunch of these come out and what they say and what they believe. And a lot of these work together. So let's go back to self-helpism. Uh, David, I just want to hear you just sort of riff on these, just sort of talk about some of your experiences potentially with um, or in your evangelism, in your apologetic teaching, during the open air preaching, some common arguments you may have heard that maybe sound like the ones I've already sort of read. But I'd like I'd like for you just to sort of riff on these. So let's start with self-helpism. First, give us maybe an example of where we can see this happening within the church or within the culture uh, or both. Um, and then maybe some experience on that. Yeah, self-helpism. God helps those who help themselves. Uh, which verse was that? What's the address of that? Uh, Book of Opinions. Yes. Chapter 7, yeah. verse 73. Okay, I'm going to look that up. Yeah, that's, that's nowhere in Scripture. God helps those who help themselves. We have an absolute dependence upon the Lord for the next heartbeat you and I take. Uh, we are to be, uh, well, we are to do what God has called us to do. We're not to be lazy people. We're to be the best employees, get there early, stay late. We're to be the best neighbors, the best uh, friends for people. We're to be self-actualizing in that sense. Mm -hmm. We're to work hard, the old you know, Puritan work ethic. If a man will not, Work, he shall not eat. Right. You know, out of the scriptures there. Mm -hmm. And the verse that I see so grossly taken out of context, what, what's the one, I don't know, I'll put you on the spot here. You may not recognize it, mm -hmm. but it, it's kind of a something I notice all the time. On athletes, shorts, I see it in MMA, mm -hmm. they'll have this verse on their shorts or on their shirt. Probably the uh, Colossians 3.23, whatever you do, work, work with, all, Close. with all your might. Something Close. along those lines. Philippians 4.13, I can do all oh, things. Oh, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Yeah, right. where was okay. Paul at when he wrote that? Yeah, he's in prison. He's in jail for being a Christian. <laughs> yeah. You know, so God helps those who help themselves. That shows an, uh, in brevity's sake, again, that's just an utter reliance on ourselves. Yes. Uh, we, we don't, you know, God, that, that's not, we are to be self-actualizing. We are to be, Leaning forward, we are to be default, moving in the, in the direction God wants us to do. Yeah, but this says grow up into your salvation, right? Desire the work or the word, right? And so that you may grow up. It's a maturing, you know, the sanctification, which yes. is a maturing of the Christian. But God helps those who help themselves. If someone were to say that, I would like, man, think immediately, are you genuinely a Christian? <laughs> you know, one, one uh, thing I do want to say about this, however, is... There's always a tendency for individuals, whether they're Christian or not, to approach things uh, and be totally out of balance, right? Mm -hmm. Now, God, and I'm interested to see how you, how you respond to this, but but <clears throat> in the Old Testament, God said to his people, 
go into the land for I've already mm-hmm. given it over to you. Mm-hmm. So there was, you got to do something, but I've already done it all for you. I prepared so, the way. I prepared. This I prepared. is your calling. I'm yes. telling you, go do this. Yes. Yeah. And so self-helpism would take it and take that that sort of idea there and go way over to one side. It's like, I need to do it all, right? Right. And then the other side of that would be like, I don't really have to do anything because God's already done it for me, right? No. No, the action is not a, prayer is not a substitute for action. Mm-hmm. There's things we, of course, we do need to be in prayer, uh, be prayerfully considering everything, everything in prayer and supplication. Yes. Let your request be made, known, be made known unto God. But prayer is not a substitute for action. Mm-hmm. God is impressed upon every born-again believer to go and do certain things. My thing may not be your thing, but God uses Christians to further the gospel. He's not walking around anymore. Mm-hmm. He's not speaking audibly. Mm-hmm. He uses us to do what he wants us to do. Our goal is to seek God's will for our lives. Mm-hmm. And there's a whole you know, way, certain way we go about doing that. We'll have to do a podcast on that one. Yeah, but no, we don't, God helps us, helpism, it's really a worldview that we should, we should as, as genuine Christians should be thinking, I can do nothing outside of God. I don't want to do anything outside of God's will. I want to be in God's will. And that gets into spiritual decision-making. How do you know the decision you're making is a correct one? Mm -hmm. Again, a whole nother podcast, but our overarching theme in life should be I want to glorify God and I want to be in his will what, wherever I'm at. I want to be in God's will. And how do I go about doing that? Well, again, that's prayer, Bible study, counsel of wise Christians, mature Christians, and seeking God's will. Yeah, so good. So the next one is naturalism. My brain is trustworthy according to my brain. Yeah, that's a self-refuting statement right there upon (laughs) itself. Um, Paul says that we're to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. Mm -hmm. Uh, When we become a born-again believer, we receive the Holy Spirit. And really what changes is our brain. Yes. Uh, Another another big word I like to throw out every now and then is called the noetic effect of the fall. When Adam and Eve sinned and God cursed the world, our brains became broken, busted, noetic, N-O-E-T-I-C, we don't think rationally and correctly 100% of the time. Yes. Our brains are broken. So, yes, we're to be smart, reasonable, logical, reasonable human beings, but it needs to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. Mm-hmm. When a person becomes a born-again believer, something that should be said to them by the outside world is, you've changed, you're different. Mm-hmm. When we become a born-again believer, our logic Thinks now. I was a pilot before I got saved, and I'm still a pilot. But I think about my finances, my resources, my time, my energies, my future, my family. It's different now. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. it's different because my brain, my broken brain, is now more aligned with what God wants it to be because He has indwelled me with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit really is a mental thing. Mm-hmm. It, it walks. It's, it's it walks alongside of us. It's one of the entities of the Trinity, of course. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But really, it affects our brain. Mm-hmm. We think in logic and reason differently. Yes, yes. I want to read from Titus chapter three. I'll read probably the first, I will read the first seven verses. Paul says, uh, speaking to the pastor Titus, who he's left on a, on a pretty rambunctious island to mm-hmm. establish churches there. He says, remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient and to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, 
to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. Implication there? They're doing none of that. Verse three, for we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our day in malice and envy and hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Amen. That phrase in there, the washing of regeneration and renewal of the spirit has to do with a couple of things. But as far as the mind is concerned, there's the renewal of the mind, the regeneration of the dead sinner being brought from death to life occurs once the spirit of God indwells you. And that only occurs through faith in the gospel. Well, your, your worldview changes. Absolutely. The framework in which you think, logic, reason, spend your resources and so forth yeah. changes. You're a different creature. You're a, you have, it's, I love to explore the phrase born again. Mm-hmm. It, when someone is born again, what, what, in essence, what it means is everything, the old you is dead. I don't right. know who this person is. It's like, there's some guy, you like, he, got born once again yeah. like the old you is dead and 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 part of that is what we're what we're talking about your world view changes your yeah. attitude about certain things your proclivities you, you're a different person because of the washing what does washing do it cleans yeah of the in the indwelling indwell your dwelling is your home it's where you live so you're washed and you're indwelled by the holy spirit mm-hmm. you you can't you can't remove the Holy Spirit. That gets into the whole thing of, of salvation. Right. God does this work, this amazing work in you. Yeah. I can't become unsaved. He did this. Mm-hmm. The unsaved person doesn't understand that. It's yeah. like I don't get you. You yeah. know, you, you know, yeah. I work with people. Majority, of course, are not don't claim to be Christians or born again Christians. They're good, decent, moral people that I, I trust with almost anything I have. Mm-hmm. But our worldview is different. Yes. Because I have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And those of us that are Christians, they're born again Christians there. You have all these commonalities. You meet someone and you immediately go, I got a bond with that person. Mm-hmm. I don't even know them. Well, you find out that they're a genuine born again Christian. We look at things differently. Our worldview is different. Yes. We respond differently. And that's that's what, uh, or that's how God alters that noetic effect mm-hmm. of the brain, the brain being brain being broken because of original sin. Mm-hmm. He corrects us and steers us in his direction. Yeah. It, it's, I love the Bible because there's so, there's so much depth to it. It's inexhaustible. Let's move on to the third category here called skepticism. Now this one, uh, I'd believe in God if there were any shred of evidence. I think this one's quite easy to to talk about and and say pretty succinctly um the bible is um just a shred or two of evidence if you really look at it but what are your comments on on that you have just as much evidence as i do you just choose to ignore it there we go i would encourage you we're going to move on to the next one just for sake of time but i would encourage you out there if you are a skeptic um to uh go look at the first chapter of luke the first i think it's four verses there is a direct claim of Luke interviewing eyewitnesses to what he's writing about. 
Um, and this, this word eyewitness is used all over the Bible, uh, especially in the New Testament. But uh, I would just ask you, is that considered legitimate evidence in a court of law? How much evidence do you need? Right. If I answer every one of your questions to your liking, will you get on your knees, repent, turn from your sins, and put your trust in Jesus today? No. And another note, there's plenty of examples of people watching Jesus perform miracles and still not believing. How much evidence do you need? Right. They saw him bring people back to life. They saw them saw him heal countless times. Go through the New Testament, and every time it says crowds, multitudes, throngs, and I'll put a little F-A-M-E for fame beside that. Yes. Jesus did everything publicly right there, yet through the depravity of man, they still rejected him and plotted to kill him. How much evidence do you need? Your brain has over 10 billion neurons in it. Which one of those neurons was created first? (laughs) Were they all laying on the dirt? Was the dirt created first? How much evidence do you need? The reason people reject Christianity is very, very simple. There's three very brief reasons. Number one, you like your sin and you don't wanna give it up. Mm -hmm. That's it. Number two, pride, I'll bow the knee to nobody. Or number three, I've either had a sin committed against me or I myself have committed one or many that are so egregious God wants nothing to do with me. And of course, that's not true. Mm -hmm. Don't complicate this. Skepticism, Romans chapter one, everybody knows that God exists. There's no such thing as an atheist. Mm -hmm. The reason they do this is because their conscience has convicted them. They don't wanna bow the knee to this God of the Bible. They don't wanna do that. You can be whatever you want but don't be bringing your holy role and Bible thumping morality yeah. in here. Yeah. Let's move on to postmodernism. The truth is there is no truth. Well, I would state it a little bit differently. I would say all truth is valid truth. It's, you'll get this 100% of the time on the college campuses. Is this your truth is not my truth? Well, your truth cannot, your truth doesn't have to be my truth. Okay. They're both true. So what do we do when those truths are the exact opposite of each other? There's a dichotomy there. They completely oppose each other. Who's right and who's wrong? Neither one of us were both right. Mm. People, young people have been uh, conditioned to not tell anybody, it goes back to the judgment, not to tell anybody they're wrong. Mm-hmm. I have had countless times, I'll talk to, the, you know, and these are conversations and they're not overbearing or anything like that. And we're just talking like you and I are. And I'll say, I say, you know, you know what you are? And they'll, they'll say, what? And I say, a postmodern. And I'll say, you know what that is? No, all truth is valid truth. Mm-hmm. So my truth is this. I believe that it's okay if, say, you and I were having a conversation, you were an unsaved person. Mm-hmm. And I say, so listen, Mike, just for the sake of conversation here, I, my truth is that I should beat up all people wearing black T-shirts, gray shorts, and white tennis shoes. I should just beat you <laughs> down, take your money, and go buy a Subway sandwich. Am I wrong? And you'll see the eyes twitch and the lip quiver and the right. kind of the tap dancing because they've never, they're a mile wide and they're, they're an eighth of an inch deep. They, mm-hmm. They're just regurgitating what some professor right. or somebody has told them. They haven't thought about these things. Right. So I'll say, am I wrong? Am I wrong? And they'll say, well, yeah, it hurts people. I say, I know it. I know I enjoy hurting people. I enjoy hurting you. For the sake of conversation, I, right, I would right. enjoy it. Am I wrong? That's my truth. And they don't, they just, they get in a lip stutter. And I say, listen, man, truth is truth. Truth is defined by that which comports with the mind of God. You know intuitively that what I just said is horrible. Nobody should ever do that. Mm -hmm. And you know that's not the truth. Um, 
you'll ask all these outrageous questions like that. And they really will, the majority of them will say, well, that's true for you, but it's just not true for me. Right. But I'm not gonna tell you that you're wrong. Yeah. So postmodernism is that all truth is valid truth, even if it clearly contradicts each other and opposes each other. Yeah, we did a podcast with Pastor Sam and another pastor from St. Timothy's, his name is Pastor Josh Elder. Uh, I don't know how many weeks ago now, but the whole topic was what is truth? And it was interesting how kind of our conversation came to the realization that based on the scriptures, based on what we're looking at words that Jesus himself said, mm-hmm. um, he said, my teaching is not my own, but it is the fathers who sent who me. Who sent me. And so what we, what we realized was that truth by definition is external to oneself. It's got to be. It you have to, to have a higher moral arbitrator outside yeah. of ourselves. Yep. If not, then you have anarchy. Right. And Jesus obviously was the son of, is the son of God, right? So, but he was saying that being truthful, but also that reveals something to us about the nature of truth. It's outside of us. It's outside of us. It's not up for you to determine. It doesn't matter if you believe it or not. It only matters right. if it's true. Right. And what did Jesus say? I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Yes. Well, this kind of leads us into moral moral relativism. Yeah, they're, which is, they're first You're wrong cousins. to tell me that I'm wrong. I think we just talked yeah. about that. Yeah. yeah. Are see. you telling me I'm wrong? Yeah. yeah. Are you judging me? You're telling me I shouldn't be judging people? Mm-hmm. Well, are you judging me? Right. And moral relativism, okay, ask people, they, they, they haven't heard that term, right. but they're, they're displaying it. It's manifesting itself in their conversation. Yeah. Well, it could be wrong for you, but it's not wrong for me. I've, I've literally had many times we, we talk, and I, you have to use something of a sensational nature or the conversation will drag forever. Yeah. You kind of got to get to the end here because yeah. you want to you wanna use the, all this natural conversation to springboard to the gospel. Yes. Remember, apologetics is the servant. The gospel is the king. Mm-hmm. Nobody gets saved through apologetics. We've mm-hmm. got to, we're just, we're just showing people we have thought about these things. We have mm-hmm. something, again, of a cogent argument, not a bicker, not a shout down, but we'll argue like two lawyers in court. We're gonna argue mm-hmm. about this, okay? So when we get to this moral relativism, they, they've never heard of that phrase, or they have, they haven't thought about it, mm-hmm. but we have to agree there's something outside of ourselves that that claims that sets the moral standard because if I think that beating up people with black shirts and gray shorts and white shoes is a good, fun thing and I think everybody should do it, intuitively, you know morally, that's incorrect. Right. So who who sets the moral standard? Well, for the believer and the skeptic that are listening, we have a commonality. In Genesis, it says that we're created in the likeness and image of God, every human being from all time. That doesn't mean you're a Christian, but it means you have been, we have a common creator, God Almighty, God himself. We're created in the likeness and image of God. That's why you intuitively know certain things are morally right and morally wrong. And when you violate those laws, you intuitively know they're that, that you're wrong. That's why your conscience bears witness. Mm-hmm. That's why a lot of people get into drugs and alcohol. They want to bury and dull their conscience. So true. So moral relativism, we've got to have something outside of ourselves. If we don't, yeah. then we have evolution. The big ones eat the little ones. And guess what? You lose. Yes. Okay, this next one, emotionalism. This one, you know, is literally everywhere, but... I feel it's particularly appealing to young people, meaning people, teenagers, and coming into this prolonged adolescence all the way up to 30 years old now. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's this follow your heart. 
right? Like yeah. you have to have passion and that's what you should go pursue, right? Because it never lies, right? I see this a lot in the you know mainstream so-called church, right? With the the topical preaching that's all man-centered. It's all about you. Mm-hmm. Um, but just riff on that for a second. Yeah, the heart. Um, the heart is deceitfully wicked. Uh, is deceitful and wicked above all things. Who can know it? Jeremiah says. Yeah. And you'll hear this a very, very, very common. Probably one of the top five. Well, God knows my heart. You're right. God does know your heart, and God sees a liar and an adulterate heart and oh, a murderate heart and a thief and so forth. That you're right. God does see your heart, and you should be very concerned about that. So again, we go back to the noetic effect of the fall. That's the effect on our brain. We say the heart, and we use that as a synonym for the seat of emotions. Yes. As a married person, my heart tells me that you know it's okay to commit adultery. Mm-hmm. Am I wrong? Mm-hmm. My heart tells me that I should lash out at that person. Am I wrong? Mm-hmm. So your heart, no, you don't want to follow your heart. Don't do it. She, is there something to be said about being passionate about certain things? Of course. Yeah. Excitement, passion, you you look forward to doing certain things. God has created us uniquely to enjoy doing certain things. Sure, be passionate about those things. But to follow your heart, really? That's really, because the heart is merely, merely a physical pump. Mm-hmm. It's really your, your mind, will, and your emotions, your brain, your thinking, your logic. You don't want to follow your emotions. Our emotions, our logic, our thinking, our reasoning, and so forth, those are the, the cars of the train the, the engine of the train is biblical truth. Mm-hmm. We have to permeate and marinate our minds and God, our mind in God's word. And then that will drive all these things. Mm-hmm. We don't want our emotions driving our thought, our logic in these different areas of our lives. We don't want emotions to right. do that. We want biblical truth to drive and inform these things. Proverbs fourteen twelve caps it off pretty good. There's a way that seems right to a man, but in the end leads to death. That way is following your heart. Okay, the next two, pluralism and new spirituality, basically go somewhat together. Yeah, right? very common. Pluralism, very common. Pl- being plural, pluralistic, you just worship something, man. Just pick something and worship it. Uh, but then the new spirituality, I hear all the time, I'm not religious, I'm spiritual. Who has the guideline for your spirituality? Mm-hmm. Who is this being? Does he have a playbook, a guidebook? Is there a website I can go to see how to be spiritual? Right. Well, this spiritual entity that you're following Will he, um, have you kept his laws, his rules, his commands? And if you haven't, how are you gonna atone for those? Right. How are you gonna pay for that? Is there gonna be an accountability for what you've done wrong according to this spiritual entity? Mm-hmm. Here's one. Uh, I actually have had this conversation before with people. When they say that, um, I've, I've pressed a bit and I've asked, okay, so so what, you know, what is that to you, right? What is spirituality of course, to you? Yeah. Right? Like, what does that mean? One person uh, said, you know, they kind of stumbled for a bit. Um, you know, just love, you know? And I, and I just looked and I didn't say anything. And I said, okay, well, okay, well, what, what does love mean? Right? right, you're conducting an interview, which yeah. is really what we need, what you should do. Very what does good. love mean? Yeah. You know, just love, right? They defined right. it using the word. And then that person got frustrated with me and said, okay, well, what does love mean to you, Christian, <laughs> right? Excellent. I said, okay, well, love means uh, willing the good of the other person for the sake of the other person, you mm-hmm. know? Uh, completely selfless, right? That's what I said to them. And then they said, oh, okay. <laughs> you know, yeah. it, it touched that person's heart a little bit. Yeah. Uh, being unreligious and quote unquote spiritual um, doesn't work together. It, like re- religion, true religion, right? Like James says, right? 
has to do with worshiping the father, right? And taking care of, as James put it, the, the widows and the orphans of society, the lowly of society, right? Sacrificially loving others. Uh, that would be true religion. And that is spirituality. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that it would be anything else, truly. Mm -hmm. Well, a person's greatest need is not to be fed. Is The orphan's greatest need is not to be fed or cared for or given shelter or what have you. Although, obviously, those things are very, very important. Yeah. A person's greatest need is to know Christ. Mm -hmm. They need to, to repent, turn from their sins, and put their trust in Christ. So dovetailing with that, what is the motivation for a person to go and do that? A lot of people, really unsaved people, will do those things, and they are good things, feeding the hungry, yeah. shelter, help finding shelter and helping people. Those are genuine, good, wonderful things to do. Mm -hmm. but what is your motivation for that? The Christian does everything for the glory of God. Mm -hmm. We do those, and as a matter of fact, Christians do hands down more than more charitable works than everybody else combined. Oh, the data out there is, is pretty, pretty phenomenal. Straightforward on it that. is very, very clear. Yeah. So, what is your motivation for doing these things? All religions, other than biblical Christianity, are works based. Mm -hmm. People do these things to think they're going to garner favor with God. Look at all the good that I've done. So they think they're earning their way into heaven, and many mainstream religions teach that. You've, it's faith plus works, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and you've got to maintain these works to um, stay in a right relationship with God. But no, um, the new spirituality and the pluralis plural, pluralism. It's a hard one to say. It is, yeah. it is. I guess you noticed that. <laughs> um, the pluralism is, really it goes back to don't, don't tell anybody they're wrong, don't judge. Right. It's, it's, can't we all just get along? And, mm -hmm. and then you come along and talk about the exclusivity of Jesus. Mm -hmm. And they can't, they don't understand that. Right. You say, no, there's just one way. Yeah. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Mm -hmm. John 10, 30, 31, 30 says, I and the Father am one. Mm -hmm. Okay. There's, there's an exclusivity there. And this uh, pluralism and new spirituality, I'm not religious, I'm just spirit. All that is, that's just uh, just some off-the-cuff thing where, eh, I'll just kind of do what I want to do and I'm a good person. Yeah. It's more or less a way to sort of just put the conversation off. Um, you, you're exactly right. Yeah. And you know what? It works most of the time. It does. Most people don't really want to have yeah. in-depth conversations. And, you know, there's, there's, there is sometimes a time and a place for that sort of hey, thing. Hey, you're... But. you're you know, it may sound like we're being kind of pointed here and all, and, and maybe maybe we're coming across as that. I don't I don't intend that to be like that. Mm. These are just normal, com slowed down, yeah. casual conversations. Right. You just ask questions. Hey, what do you mean by that? What yeah. do you, you know? And it may not go any further than this paragraph in the conversation. Right. Right. But you've you've watered, maybe you've planted. Yeah. And you let God do the harvesting here. You just it. it don't feel like you've got to have an outcome-based right. uh, scenario here where they admitted, you're right, I'm wrong. Yeah. What must I do to earn or garner eternal life? Right. It's just not going to happen. It's so easy, though, because I've experienced that when I was a brand-new Christian, um, not being really taught at all. It's so easy for us Christians to, like, turn evangelism into an idol and like oh literally like, yeah and like you know you oh do. i've got this many people saved I'm, and blow it's like what dude well listen i did for i'm 58 i got saved when i was 24 mm -hmm. and i was been a southern baptist my whole life 
There's a couple of more podcasts on that right there on Southern <laughs> Baptist. Um, but for the first 18 years, I just wanted to be obedient to the Lord. Wow. So what are we taught? Close the deal. Yeah. Get them to say the sinner's prayer. How many did you lead to the Lord and all this? Yeah. And that's still so prevalent. Mm. And that's one of the reasons many genuine Christians don't want to witness. They think they have to close the deal. Mm. They think they're God's salesman. Yeah. So this didn't, I didn't come up with this, but I love this saying. People will say, they'll go, well, how many of you, you were out open air preaching today? Yeah, where were you at? Well, I was Santa Monica Boulevard, Hollywood Boulevard, you know, yeah. thousands and thousands of people. How many people did you lead to the Lord? Every single one who heard me. Now, what they did with the Lord, that's between them and the Lord. <laughs> that's good. Right? That's good, and that's accurate, right? And it is accurate. That's it takes accurate. the yoke off of us. I like that. I like that. Okay, the the last two here before the final one kind of go also go together, Marxism and feminism, right? Yeah. And we've seen, again, these these two can certainly play together. Now, I've read the Communist Manifesto. Got it sitting right here. Yeah, it's... Um, it's a satanic. I'll just be honest with you. It's antithetical to everything a Christian could ever um, desire and love. But Marxism here basically says communism failed because nobody did it right. Well, I just did six videos here at the Field Church. They haven't been released yet. One of them is on Marxism, mm -hmm. communism and Marxism. The other one is on the biblical response to Marxism. Mm. Then I did one, I jumped into the deep end of the pool here. Uh -oh. I said, uh, I did one on slavery. Mm -hmm. I did one on racism. Mm -hmm. And I think there's a couple of more. Critical race theory, did you pick I up haven't done that one yet. yet. Uh, it's so, it's coming. I'm just so over it. You know what I mean? It's, it's so easy to dispute. It's here, it's here to stay. Yeah. It's here to stay. But it's all part of Marxism. Yes. Okay, so it just hasn't been done right. Man, I would love for someone to ask me that. <laughs> if we have any Marxist, communist, atheist, secular humanist, progressives in the community in the Covington area, New Orleans area that are hearing this. And when you you would like to have a debate or even a conversation, I'm gonna speak for Mike. We'll we'll come and meet with you if we can record it. <laughs> yeah. And have a conversation. Yeah. Not anything ugly, but have a have a conversation. Mm -hmm. uh, you take your worldview of Marxism, Engels, socialism, evolution, Darwinism, Margaret Sanger, and we'll take the Bible side and we'll have a, a spirited conversation. Mm. We'd be more than glad to do that. Uh, but communism, <laughs> nobody did it right. So Pol Pot should have killed 3 million people in the killing fields of Cambodia. Mm. Stalin weaponized Marxism and about 20 million people of which half he starved to death. Should he starve to death more? Was it not enough? Mm. Mao in communist China, 50 million at least, mm. 50 to 100 million. You're, which one of those got it wrong? Should it have been more that they killed? Mm. I mean, how much? How many more gulags or totalitarian states or concentration camps or, as they call them now in communist China, re-education camps? Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. do you have you read the Communist Manifesto? It's fairly simple to read. It's very simple. It's quick. Yeah, read. it's quick read. <laughs> very easy. Okay, there the government controls literally everything. You have no say in any of it. Banks, money. Uh, transportation, communications. You have no say-so in this. Mm -hmm. You have no three parts of the uh, you just, uh, of government like right. we have in uh, America today. Yeah. You don't get to vote. Oh, you, actually, you do get to vote. And guess what? 100% of the votes are going to be to whoever's in power yeah. because he violently overthrew the last person. Yeah. And he's got to have a, what do you call it, a putsch, 
P-U-T-S-C-H. Mm-hmm. Every now and then you'll notice these communist leaders kill everybody around them in their inner circle mm-hmm. because they're getting a little too close to them. And besides, that's the way he got into power. Mm-hmm. He was part of the inner circle, overthrew through a violent coup, the guy before him, so he's always looking out. So I tell, I ask young people on college campuses who are carrying on about the, the socialism and Marxism, I said, do you do understand the very system you're espousing will one day come for you. Yes. It, it, it's intolerant of any dissension. You do understand that. In Marxism, there's one top dog, and he wields that power violently mm-hmm. with a sledgehammer and a machine gun. Mm-hmm. There's no voting here. There's no debating here. You will comply or you will be killed. End of the story. And how ironic here in America, the greatest country that's ever been, Mm -hmm. the very system that puts into place the conversation you and I are having in in a communist country, you couldn't do this. Only in America can we have these conversations. The the freedom of speech, you know, we have the Bill of Rights in the in the, the Ten Amendments in the Bill of Rights, the first one says, Congress shall make no law with respect to an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof or of the, the abridging of the freedom of speech or of the press or of the right of the people peaceably to assemble or the right to petition the government for a redress of grievances. So we go back to the freedom of speech. You don't have any of this Mm-hmm. In any other in these other communist countries, right. freedom of speech is to protect unpopular speech. I don't think the Marxists, socialists, and atheists should be shut down. They should be free to speak what they want to speak, but free to say what they want to say. Mm-hmm. But on the other hand, we see in society now those that oppose this are not being shut down by the government, but we have private entities that are doing the work of a communist government by suppressing free speech. Mm -hmm. So just remember, all you that are siding on this side of the left here, that we shouldn't be able to say certain things and, uh, you know, social media and so on and so forth. Mm -hmm. Just remember, one day somebody, if you get your way, somebody else is going to be in charge and they may disagree with what you have to say and you're going to be shut down and you'll have no say-so whatsoever in this. Yeah. Well said. Feminism, the future is female. Yeah, uh, women already run everything, I always thought anyway. So, <laughs> yeah, we all have roles. You know, you can get into complementarianism versus egalitarianism, another couple of lofty words. But mm-hmm. listen, God created men, male and female, male and female, he created them. There's only two genders, mm-hmm. guys and gals, mm-hmm. and girls and dudes. So, mm-hmm. and he, we are all in biblical Christianity, according to the Bible. This is the beautiful thing about God's creative plan. Male or female, we are of equal value and worth in God's eyes. Yes. We just have different roles. And we see when I'm out open air preaching, we have the Antifa and the BLM signs and all this and Black Lives Matter. And I say, listen, Christianity's got that covered. Mm-hmm. You know, Paul says that there's neither male nor female, Jew, there's neither Greek nor Jew, male nor female, slave nor free. We're all one in Christ. Amen. So we've got that covered. What you know? Yeah. So feminism, we women physically are the weaker of the sex. Our job as men is to protect them and provide for them in different capacities, and the women have other roles. We are of equal value and worth in God's eyes, but we all have different roles. Right. Yeah. Okay. The final one here. This has been so good, man. And uh, I know we're going a little bit long, but this is a great podcast, and. Uh, I've been focused the whole time. 
The final one, progressive Christianity, which says that Christianity needs a makeover. Now, without really going too deep into this, basically progressive Christianity says that everything we've already talked about has somewhat of a place in the church. Christianity needs a makeover. My response, why? What's wrong with it? What's wrong with it? And then the question would be, does God need a makeover too? We had a young lady named Amy. She was the head of the uh, Southeastern Louisiana University Secular Humanist Atheist Network. A little tongue-in-cheek, Solution, S-C-L-U-S-H-A-N, Solution. Mm-hmm. She's long since gone. Anyway, her group would come out to heckle us every every Thursday afternoon. And it's great. We like hecklers. They draw a crowd. Loudmouth hecklers actually ask questions that everybody else probably would like to ask, but they're not going to do it. Yeah. So we like hecklers. And I'd always let her know, the atheist group, the evolutionist group, hey, they knew we were going to be there. So please, come on out. We're glad to glad to field your questions. Amy actually went to church with us one time. I couldn't believe it. She <laughs> did show up. And she was, she she didn't say a whole lot, but she came. That's good. But, uh she got really frustrated with me one time and she just hollered out, you keep preaching the same thing. You need to change your message. And I kind of, I was like, well, thank you, Lord. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, thank you. And uh, Christianity doesn't need a makeover. We just let society into the church. And guess what happens? When you let unsaved people into the church, they obtain positions of authority. And unsaved people do what unsaved people do. Mm-hmm. They, they act like unsaved people. So over the years, uh, certain churches, big, huge, mega churches in our country have gone through the community and said, what would you like to see in a church? Well, I don't want anything about hell, anything about sin. I don't want any judgment. I don't want 15-minute sermons, no ties. So we've let the unsaved world come into the church, and the church is now reaping the rewards, if you will, of allowing that to happen, where we've got to change Christianity to conform with culture. Mm -hmm. That's why you see... All mainstream denominations, a large part of all mainstream Protestant denominations, Southern Baptists right now are in a big hubbub, have gone over the cliff with moral relativism. Mm -hmm. Christianity does not need a makeover. The Bible, God says, I do not change. His character and attributes are permanent. Mm -hmm. he, He does not change. Well, that concludes the categories that we wanted to cover today. And, and to be sure, we could have said a whole lot more. But I just want to end the podcast with encouraging believers to stand firm, to be steadfast, to learn the Bible, and basically pick the Bible up and don't ever put it down. Learn the word of God. Learn the truth. And as far as these other categories are concerned, if you feel you know, that you're lacking— in understanding on any of these things. And if you have an iPhone, start start using that iPhone. You know, it, it, it would benefit us as Christians, as believers, to have at least an un, a basic understanding of what is out there, right? Of what the enemy's game plan is, so to speak. You don't have to be, like like David said, an expert on, on all of these things. And of course, if God calls you to that, then by all means. But it would benefit us and benefit you as an individual to have a basic understanding of what is going on in the world so that we can approach the world in understanding, still wielding the truth. To non-believers out there, I would encourage you to think deeply about what you currently believe. And if you feel up to it, search out the Bible. Put the Bible to the test, so to speak. Many people have gone down that road before 
only to emerge as believers. David, I thank you for coming on to the show today. Uh, we're going to have to have you back because there's so much more we could talk about. Any last words? Well, to the, to the believers, don't be disheartened. You're not rocked back on your heels. Um, the Bible literally does have the answer. You don't have to be a pastor or called to be an evangelist or a seminary graduate or a college graduate or anything like that. Of course, education is a wonderful thing. Read God's Word. A few resources that have really, really, really helped me over the years that that lead me into the Bible, uh, lead me into studying the Bible. You and I were talking about it earlier. Is the John MacArthur Study Bible? Mm-hmm. That's probably one of the, the best Bible out there. John MacArthur Study Bible. Um, Todd Friel is really, really good with you know, Wretched Radio. Just YouTube it or Google it. Massive ministry and how to share your faith and. Uh, combat a lot of the topics going on. Greg Kokel's book, Tactics, mm-hmm. is really beneficial. Uh, Ray Comfort and Living Waters Ministry, just go to YouTube and Google Ray, and certainly hundreds if not thousands of videos of him and the ministry going out and sharing their faith. And it, it, it'll give you encouragement. It'll give you courage. And Listen, you, you don't. We're not here to win. You go, bo, you go, be obedient to what God has called you to do. Leave all the results to God. The victory is in that you stepped outside of your comfort zone and went and did what God has called you to do. Don't worry about the results. God has the results. We don't have to have this great outcome. What we think is a great outcome. Mm-hmm. Uh, you go, be obedient, and you can take a you know a lot of comfort in knowing that. At least you got that right for the day. That's what I do. Hand out a gospel track. Invite somebody to church. Have a spiritual conversation. And for those of you that have listened and disagree with every single thing Mike and I have said today, we don't want to win an argument with you. Your greatest need is to slow down, calm down, look inside yourself, and listen to your own conscience. Your conscience bears witness you've done wrong, and you know a day of judgment is coming. You can suppress it hide it, squash it in any any way you can any way you can imagine. But at the end of the day, you know you're going to have to give account for what you've done wrong. We simply want to point you towards Christ or the eternal life lies. You can be forgiven if you've done the most egregious sin, most unspeakable thing. Mm-hmm. You're not beyond Christ's love. He does care about you. He does want you to come to a saving knowledge of him. Humble yourselves this very day. Cry out to the Lord while you still have time and see if what we're telling you is true. We want to see you in heaven. That is our goal. It's not to win an argument, not to put you in your place, or certainly not to show you how smart we are because we're not. (laughs) We just want to show you that there's a little bit of an argument on the other side for these secular things. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, we want to see you soften your heart, humble yourselves, and do business with God. And that's... In closing, absolute closing here, if you're not a Christian, think of your sins, what you've looked at on the computer, what you've thought about other people, what you've done with your life. Think of your sins and then you think of Jesus on the cross with the nails driven through his hands, the skin ripped from his back. The Bible says he was marred or beaten worse than any man who ever lived. Mm. And he did that for you. So you think of your sins and you think of Jesus suffering on that horrible, horrible form of torture and execution known as crucifixion. Mm -hmm. And he did that for your sins, your lying, your stealing, your lusting, your adultery, and everything in between, or even worse. He did that for you. 
The Bible says God loves a broken heart and a contrite spirit. Man, you, you, don't, you don't need me. You don't need Mike. You just need the Lord. Mm-hmm. You humble yourselves before the Lord. When that side of that cross in your mind breaks your heart, you cry out to him. You'll know what to say. When we get busted, we don't need anybody telling us what to say. Man, we're, we're broke. You just crawl up to the Lord, if you will, metaphorically in your mind. You crawl up to that cross and say, Lord, forgive a wretch like me. And the moment you do that, God will forgive you. And he'll give you a new heart with new desires. Everything in your life will change. And then if you die, you'll know beyond a shadow of a doubt, you'll spend eternity with him. That's what we want you to do is repent, turn from your sins, and put your trust in Jesus. Amen, amen. Thank you all for listening to another episode of the Nehemiah Project podcast. We'll talk to you later. Thanks for listening to the Nehemiah Project podcast. For more resources about addiction recovery, suicide prevention, and overcoming other life-controlling issues, you can follow us on Facebook and Instagram and visit our website, tnproject.org. If you or someone you love is struggling, don't hesitate to reach out to us by calling 985-205-3022.